The focus of the 19th parak has been what one is allowed to do on Shabbos for the sake of a brismillah. We learn from the Pasuk which says that one gives a brismillah by Yemash Shemini on the 8th day, the 8th day of the baby's life. So even if that day happens to be Shabbos, the mitzvah brismillah still applies. However, if for whatever reason the brismillah cannot be done on the 8th day, for example if the baby is ill, and then the baby becomes ready for a bismillah on the ninth day, which is a Shabbos. So in that case, it cannot be done on Shabbos, since it's no longer the eighth day. So only if it's the eighth day can Shabbos be violated for the sake of a bismillah. So this gives rise to the case of our Mishnah, which is where Misha Shneitinoikos, somebody had two babies, Echelomel Achar Shabbos. One of the babies needed to have a bismillah on the day after Shabbos. So the baby's eighth day fell on Sunday, the Echelomel Shabbos. Whereas the second baby's eighth day fell on Shabbos. And so really only the second baby can he have a brismila on Shabbos. And Shabbos can be violated for the sake of that brismila. But in our case with Shochach, the person who did the brismila forgot umol es shalachar Shabbos Shabbos. He mistakenly gave a brismila to the baby who was supposed to have it on Sunday. He gave it to him on Shabbos. So on the seventh day of that baby's life. So, of course, in this case, Chayev, he is Chayev to bring a carbon Chatos, just like everybody who violates Shabbos unintentionally. Because here, he didn't even do a brismila. He thought he was doing a brismila, but it was on a seventh-day baby. It's not even considered to be a valid brismila, and certainly not one which could violate Shabbos, and therefore he is Chayev. Now, what happens if Echelom of Shabbos, if he had one baby who was supposed to be have a brismila on Friday, his eighth day fell on Friday, the Echelom Shabbos, and the other baby, he was supposed to have a brismila on Shabbos. And once again, he made a mistake with Shochach Umolas Erev Shabbos Ba Shabbos. He forgot and he mistakenly gave a brismila to the Friday baby on Shabbos, on the baby's ninth day. So according to Rebbe this is exactly the same as the previous case. Rebbe Yezer Mechayv Chatos. says he has Chayv to bring a carbon Chatos because it's only permitted to violate Shabbos for the sake of a brismila if the brismila was done on the eighth day. So since here it was not permitted to violate Shabbos, it follows that he is Chayv Achatos for doing so. However, Rabbi Yeshua Peter, Rabbi Yeshua says he is exempt from bringing a carbon Chatos. Now Rabbi Yeshua agrees that one is only allowed to violate Shabbos for the sake of an eighth day brismillah. But nevertheless, he still says he is Potter in this case. The reason being, that Rabbi Yeshua holds a very important rule, Ta'obidvar Mitzvah, if one makes a mistake inside of a mitzvah. Meaning, while he's doing a mitzvah, he mistakenly does an Avera because of the mitzvah. But for also mitzvah, he still did the mitzvah, he fulfilled the mitzvah. In that case, Potter, he's exempt. Again, the rule is, Ta'obidvar mitzvah, v'osa mitzvah, Potter. And in this case, if you think about it, it's true that he wasn't allowed to do it, and he violated Shabbos by doing it. However, at the end of the day, he gave a brismilah to the baby. It was the ninth day, although a baby is meant to have it on the eighth day, if he receives it on the ninth day, it's also a valid brismila. So since at the end of the day he did do a mitzvah here, and the Aveira was only as a result of doing the mitzvah, Yeshua holds of this special rule that he is exempt in this case. Of course, in the first part of the Mishnah, where the baby was only seven days old, that's not even considered a brismila. So he didn't do a mitzvah in the end. So in that case, even Yeshua agrees that he would be hired to bring a korban chatos. As we have seen, one is only allowed to give a bismillah to a baby if it's his eighth day on Shabbos. It follows that if it's a doubt as to whether it's its eighth day, then one is not allowed to break Shabbos for it in case it's not actually its eighth day, in which case that will be a Shabbos violation and forbidden. Therefore, if for example one is not sure which day of the week a baby was born, then he would never be able to be have a bismillah on Shabbos.
And because of this, it follows that Koton Nimol Lishmoina, a baby could have a Bismila on its eighth day, or a Sisha on its ninth day, Vilasara, or its tenth day, Vilacharasar, or its eleventh day, or Lishnemasar, even on its twelfth day. And we're discussing a totally healthy baby. Lepochis Vilayasa, not less and not more, meaning one can never have a Bismila before the eighth day. And a healthy baby would never have it afterwards because it's supposed to have it as soon as it's ready to have a bris milah. Now, how exactly do we get to all of these days? So the Mishnah asks, Hoketzad, how so? Kedarkai, the regular case would be Lishmaina on the eighth day. And as we have learned, even if the eighth day falls on Shabbos, if we know for sure that this is the eighth day of the baby's life, then it can have the bris milah on Shabbos. However, if it was born during which is the period of the day where the day turns into the night, and it's a halachic doubt as to whether that's considered daytime or nighttime. So since in halacha the day starts with the nighttime, if a baby is born during Ben Hashemashais, it's really a doubt as to when he was born. So in that case, Nimel Sisha, he should receive a brismila on its ninth day. And this is even without Shabbos, because one is never able to receive a brismila before its eighth day. It's not considered valid, but after the eighth day, it is considered valid. And therefore this baby should receive the brismila on the day where it's either his eighth day or his ninth day of his life, to make sure that it is a valid bris milah. If he was born during during this doubtful time on Erev Shabbos, say it's not sure whether he was born on Friday or already on Shabbos. So since he was born during during this twilight time, so he would generally need to have his, his bris milah on the eighth slash ninth day. But in this case, that would fall on Shabbos. And since one is not allowed to do a bris milah on Shabbos, unless it's definitely the eighth day of the child's life, he'll have to wait until the Sunday afterwards, and that is really the ninth or tenth day of the baby's life. So Nimal Asura, he receives his bris milah on the tenth day, which is really the ninth or tenth day. The missioner is just bringing out the fact that it could be the tenth day. Now, in the same case as we just had, what happens if Yom Tov Achar Shabbos? If the day after Shabbos was a Yom Tov, it's also forbidden to violate Yom Tov for the sake of a Bismillah, unless it's the eighth day. And if you'll have to wait until the Monday, so Nimal Acharosar, the baby would receive his Bismillah on the 10th slash 11th day. And if it was Shnei Yom Tov Shal Rosh Hashanah, if it was a two-day Yom Tov, for example, Rosh Hashanah, which is two days even in Eretz Yisrael, so then this baby would have to receive his Bismillah only on the Tuesday, which is either the 11th or 12th day, but since the Mishnah wants to bring out the fact that it can have a brismila later, the latest it would be that it has his brismila is Nimelat it could come out that he has his brismila on the 12th day, even though it was a totally healthy baby. So that was all with a healthy baby. The Mishnah says, however, a baby who is ill, and therefore it might pose a danger to the baby's life if he is given a brismila. It is forbidden to give him a brismila, until he becomes healthy again and there is no risk to his life. And only then would you give him a bris milah, and in fact the Gemara adds that they need to wait an entire week after the baby is healed, after he becomes healthy, to make sure that the illness has totally gone away, and there is no danger at all in doing the bris milah. Mishnevot, the halacha is that one is only allowed to do what is necessary for the bris milah on Shabbos. Now the main act of bris milah involves cutting and tearing away, pulling away the foreskin, but really to fulfill the mitzvah, only a little bit of the foreskin needs to be pulled away. So the question of the Mishnah is, what about the parts of the bismillah which are not necessary for the mitzvah itself? You can fulfill the mitzvah without doing that. Are you allowed to do that part on Shabbos? Now the truth is, if it's all part of the same act, and the moyel, the person doing the bismillah, hasn't stopped the bismillah, it's not as if he does the first bit and then leaves and comes back to do the rest, 
as long as he's still involved in the initial part of the brismila, he is allowed to continue pulling away at the foreskin, even though he has already fulfilled the mitzvah. Because it's already part of the same act of brismila. The discussion of our Mishnah is where the moyhel, the person doing the brismila, he pulled away a little bit at the foreskin, so he fulfilled the mitzvah, and then he drew away his hand for a moment. So once he draws away his hand from the place of the brismila, it's considered as if he's finished the actual mitzvah, and if he goes again to pull the foreskin more, that's considered a totally new act, and since that is not a necessary part of the mitzvah, it is forbidden on Shabbos. So the Mishnah asks, Elohim Tzitzin, which pieces of skin, Hama'akvinus Hamila, are necessary for the fulfillment of the mitzvah of Bismila, such that once you've pulled that away, and you've cut that, then you won't be able to come back and complete more of the Bismila. Answers the Mishnah, The skin or the flesh which covers the wider part of the place of the brismila. So once the flesh from there has been removed, that is considered the part which is necessary for the mitzvah. And once that is done, he cannot come and put his hand back there to cut some more. Now the peric ends off with another application of this. And that is that the halacha is that truma, which is food which is separated by a farmer and given to a kohen, and only a kohen is allowed to eat, the halacha is that only a kohen who has had a bris milah is allowed to eat truma. So a kohen who had a bris milah, but not this amount of skin was pulled away, he still had some skin there covering that wider part of the bris milah. So his bris milah is not considered valid, and therefore the in oichel ba truma, he would not be allowed to eat truma. Okay, and the Mishnah continues, Basar. If the person who had just received the brismila was very fat, so even once he's received his brismila, and even if it was a valid brismila and the skin which needs to be removed was removed, since he's fat, his body, his skin droops down a bit, and it covers the part where the brismila was cut. So it might appear as if he actually hasn't had a brismila, because there will still be skin there, and therefore a sacrament of the Marisa Ayin, that needs to be fixed because of Marisa Ayin, because it appears as if he hasn't had a brismila. Interestingly, we see here that the concept of Marisa Ayin, of not appearing as if one does an Avera, is not only when there are other people around, even something which other people won't know about, if it's something which were they to see it, it would look like something wrong, then it's forbidden even if they won't see. Alright, last law of the Perak, Movalo Paras Hamila. If the Moihel did the Mila part of the Brismila, he cut the foreskin, but Velo Pora. He didn't pull back the next layer of skin. He didn't do the Priya, as Hamila, on that place of the Brismila. Ke'ilule Mol says the Mishnah, it's as if he has not had a Brismila, because both the Mila and the Priya are necessary parts of the Brismila. And as we learned earlier on in the Perek, because of this, both the Mila and the Priya can be done on Shabbos, of course, as long as it's the eighth day of the baby's life. Perek Aleph. The next few Mishnahs discuss different food preparations and different Malachas done for the sake of food. And it's important to know that the one difference between Shabbos and Yom Tov, the one leniency which applies on Yom Tov, is that anything which is for the sake of Eichel Nefesh, for the sake of food, can be done on Yom Tov. And therefore, for example, it's permitted to cook on Yom Tov. The question of our Mishnah is, what about things which are preparations for Malachas done for food? This is known as Machshire Eichel Nefesh. Now, there's really four different levels which come under consideration. Two of them are things which are generally forbidden mid Araisa, and two of them are things which are generally forbidden mid Rabbanon. Now, in those two categories, we need to consider, firstly, things which could have been done before Shabbos, before Yom Tov. This whole discussion is Yom Tov. And secondly, things which couldn't have been done before Yom Tov. Now, everybody agrees that something which is generally forbidden mid-Araisa, 
and it could have been done before Yom Tov. It's not a direct preparation for food at all. So that is forbidden, and no one argues on that. The next level down is things which are generally forbidden mid Araisa, but they could not have been done before Shabbos for the sake of preparing the food. So that case is not actually in our Mishnah, but according to many, that is a machlekes between Rebeliezer and the Chachomim. According to Rebeliezer, it is permitted, and according to the Chachomim, it is forbidden. The case of our Mishnah is something which is generally forbidden mid Rabbanon, and it could have been done before Shabbos. And once again, Rebeliezer is more lenient. Rebeliezer, Omer Rebeliezer says, Tolinus one is allowed to hang a strainer, which is used for wine. And we're talking about a case where somebody stretches a strainer across a container. So let's say he's got a bowl, and on the top of the bowl, he stretches out a strainer. And then he pulls the wine through the strainer into the bowl. So to stretch the strainer onto the bowl is forbidden midrabonon, because you are sort of constructing a temporary roof. So in general, that would be forbidden midrabonon. But since this is for the sake of Eichel Nefesh, although it's not directly for Eichel Nefesh, the pouring of the wine would be direct Eichel Nefesh. But the stretching of the strainer is only machshire Eichel Nefesh, something which is indirectly a preparation for food. It's further, it's more distant. And it could have been done before Yom Tov. Nevertheless, Rebbe says it is permitted by Yom Tov on Yom Tov. However, on Shabbos, Rebbe agrees that it is forbidden because there is no leniency of Eichel Nefesh, of food preparations on Shabbos. Nevertheless, Rebbe does say that when one is allowed to put the wine through the strainer on Shabbos, since that is directly related to the food. That is the Eichel Nefesh itself. And according to Rebbe this is not the regular way of separating things out. And therefore, this is not considered something forbidden on Shabbos even. So you would be able to do that on Shabbos. However, to prepare that on Shabbos, that is forbidden even according to Rebeliezer. Now the Chachom argue, Vachachom and the Chachom say, One is not allowed to tie and stretch out the strainer on Yom Tov on top of the container. As we explained, because it's forbidden with Jabonon, since it's like creating a sort of temporary roof. And the Chachom also argue on the second point, one is not allowed to pour the wine through the strainer on Shabbos, because according to the Chachom, this is considered regular enough. This was usually the way that people would separate wine, and therefore it is forbidden on Shabbos. However, says the Rabbanon, says the Chachom, you would be able to pour the wine through the strainer on Yom Tov, because that is direct Eichel Nefesh. That is a direct preparation of the food, just like cooking, and therefore that is permitted on Yom Tov.